Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Thank you for that welcome and uh, welcome to everyone here. And if you're visiting, a really, really special welcome. Nerily and I uh, call Mackenzie our home church, but this is like our second church. Um, my son-in-law, Matt, was playing the drum thing this morning. I don't know its proper name. I keep forgetting it. So, so we come down here regularly and uh, love being here. Dave's on a mission to find the right property for us so we can move down here. Um, Father's Day can be a day of a whole heap of mixed emotions. And uh, for some of us, it's a day of celebration. For some of us, it's actually a hard day. And uh, I'm going to talk a bit about both of those. But, you know, pretty much for me, becoming a dad was um, the changing point. Before that, Father's Day was pretty much a non-event. My dad was working away from home more than he was home. And so it was just another day for us. You know, often we'd give dad a you know, a bar of chocolate and say, happy Father's Day, and that was about it. Uh, and that's my dad. That's the, the picture we had at his funeral a few years ago. As a child, I experienced relationship with my dad very much as a positional or a transactional. So he was my dad in that position. And I was told that I had to respect him because he was my dad. You know, we've probably all heard it. I'm your father and you'll respect me. It wasn't about relationship. It was as positional and transitional. Um, And so that transactional relationship was how I understood my dad. It changed for me when I became a dad. And there should be some photos coming up um, of the girls. So uh, the younger one there is Beck, and uh, that's her older sister, Katie. And so that really, really changed it for me. And I, I was really wanting to be a dad that my dad wasn't. I really worked hard at being relational. And as my girls grew, we had lots of fun stuff. Um, that was on a water ski camp that I used to run for Scripture Union. Um, so the kids grew up uh, boating. And uh, a little story about Katie is that she was around about 15, 14, 15, and she came to me and she said, Dad, I've got a bone to pick with you. And I thought, wow, that's really good because in a relational interaction is that she can come and talk to me and go, I've got a bone to pick with you. I could never have done that with my dad. And she said, all my friends played netball on the weekends. They did all this sporting stuff and we never did weekend sport. And I said, yes, sweetheart, that's correct. I said, but how many of your friends went to Somerset water skiing? How many of your friends went down to the Cooma River when we did stuff with youth group? How many of your friends went camping at Fraser Island and all these different places we did? I said, we made a decision as a family that we would actually prioritise relationship over sport. And that when you become a parent, you can decide what's best for your kids. And she looked at me, she said, oh, fair call, Dad, that's okay. (laughs) Now, if it was Beck talking to me, you know that uh, video clip where, hey, Dad, tell me if I'm doing anything wrong? Now, when Beck was learning to drive, she was learning to drive in our 1954 Morris Minor. It's good, it was slow. Right. And so we're driving around the back streets, and, and I said something to her. I said, sweetheart, you need to do this. She stopped, put it in neutral, put the handbrake on, opened the door and said, see you later, Dad, I'm going home. And she left me sitting in the car with the car running in the passenger seat, and she walked home. You know? And so for her, it was a very different reaction. And if I was saying those jokes, she would have spat the water out and said, you're lame. 
You're lame. In fact, one Father's Day, she bought me a lame stamp from typo. Put your hand out, Dad. But my reply from a relational perspective was, sweetheart, I'm supposed to be lame. I'm a dad. Because we could actually have that interaction. In my Bible, um, at the back, I have a little um, holder here with some memorabilia from the kids. And I just chose a couple of things here that uh, were really, really important. This one is from Katie. She drew this flower and she said, Dear Mum and Dad, I love you very much. Love from Katie. That's really, really precious for me. Um, There's another one here, which was, a, I think, probably a Sunday school bookmark with, you know, little writing on it. It says, Daddy, I love you, Rebecca. And then another little note from Katie. Dear Dad, I love you heaps and heaps. Have a great time. This is when I was going to go away. Um, I'll see you. Do well. I know you will. God bless. Always, forever. Katie Poo. P.S. You're the greatest dad on earth for me. Now, those things are really, really special and really important. But they're reflective of relationship. Whereas my dad couldn't pull out things like that. He got a bar of chocolate for Father's Day and that was about it. And it's really interesting because as I've grown, I've learned is that my relationship with my dad shaped my understanding of God. And in fact, from a counselling perspective, we often say that we superimpose our mothers and fathers' faces onto God's, particularly our fathers. Now, I grew up in the Lutheran church, and I did Sunday school, and in the Lutheran church back when I was a young fella, first year of high school, we did this thing called confirmation. And it was pretty detailed. We did four hours of learning on a Saturday morning. Now, when you're 12, 13, you don't want to be sitting in a confirmation class, particularly when you live on the Gold Coast. You want to go surfing. But every Saturday for a year, we studied Old Testament, New Testament, church history and theology. And when I got confirmed, I can't even remember what the process was, but I knew that Jesus died on the cross for me. I knew that this God, who was like my dad, somewhere out there in the stratosphere, did care about me in some ways, but there was no such thing as a relationship because I had superimposed my dad onto God. And that's been a profound learning for me. What I can say with my dad is the last three years of his life, Something changed in my dad. And, you know, he, was, uh, he passed away. He was 90 and a half. But all of a sudden, something happened and he became relational. And so it was really, really amazing that um, with my dad, one of the things that I did learn from my dad was surf fishing. And that's one of the things we shared. But as we got older, my dad was 85 and uh, a couple of my brothers and I decided we'd go to Stratty Fishing and uh, he would walk down, he'd sit in the chair, go and throw a fish for 10 minutes, come back and sit in the chair. And that's one of my favourite photos of my dad, um, still holding the rod just like that. And then uh, this is what we caught while we were there. And so he was pretty chuffed about that. And uh, I had resolved a lot of my father issues growing up. But to actually have those where I spent with my dad were just amazing. And I resolved that I'd never hear my dad say he loves me. He was that generation where he didn't say that. That was emotional. And yet on two occasions before he passed away on phone calls, he actually told me he loved me. I was in the habit of telling my dad I loved him, but I didn't expect a reply. And I remember the phone call I had when he said, I love you. And I turned to Nerily because it was on speaker and I said, 
Did I hear that? Because it was like left field. A few months before my dad passed away, um, Beck and Matt got married. And uh, this next photo is, is Beck's wedding. And um, that was such a highlight to have my dad at that wedding. And uh, he had a blast of a night. And he rang me the next day and told me the same conversation three times. And he said, these are the people I spoke to. This is what I ate. I had a couple of glasses of wine. Did I tell you these are the people I spoke to? And this is what I ate. And, and it was like he just had a blast. And, and I didn't have a copy of it. But one of my favorite photos um, is dad with his four boys smiling. And that was uh, um, about six months, I guess, before he passed away. Many of us will have a mixed view of God in terms of some of us will have a relationship view of God. Some of us will have a positional view of God. And a positional view really hinders us because a positional view carries a meaning that I have to please or obey or behave a certain way and it implicitly, no parent says this explicitly, but it implicitly communicates that who I am is intrinsically not good enough. I have to do this to be accepted. I have to do this to be loved. I have to be a good son. I have to do these things. And that's what positional communicates to us. Relational has an implicit meaning and an experience that I'm cared for and I'm cared about that I'm safe and secure and most of all I'm loved just for me. Warts and all. And shifting my brain with God from a positional view to a relational view was about a six-year journey. For some reason, I just couldn't wrap my brain around that the God of the universe cared for me and about me and loved me just as I was, that there's nothing I had to do to be okay. In fact, Romans 5, 8, and that whole section is what led me to relationship with Christ. And the passage says something like this. It says, perhaps somebody who's really good might consider dying for somebody else. But God demonstrated his love in this way, that while I was still a sinner, he died for me. That blew my mind away. Because while I was a sinner, there was nothing I could do or didn't do because God was a relational God who said, I made you. When you were conceived in your mama's tongue, I knew everything about you before any of it came true and I loved you. I loved you even when you made the biggest stuff ups in your life. Because I'm not the God who wants you to do something. I'm the God who wants to be in relationship with you. And that was life-changing for me. There's a wonderful parable, which is today's passage and the last of our uh, encounter series across Gateway. And uh, Luke 15, it'll be up on the screen, or if you've got your Bible there, you might want to open up. And it's a parable of the lost son. Many of us know it. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, 
The youngest son got all that he had and he set off to a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, as there was severe famine in that whole country, he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went back to his dad. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said, Dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I'm not worthy to be called a son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. Let's party. For my son that was dead is alive. He was lost. He's been found. And they began to celebrate. I've got seven points from this parable about being relational. First point is, is that this parable teaches us about the heart of God as a father. That irrespective of our experience of a father, is that God is a loving father who's waiting on his veranda, looking out to the horizon every day, waiting. Will I see my son today? Will he return to me today? Ever patient, ever waiting. Second point is that love and pain are inseparable. If you're going to love something, then you're going to have pain. This father loved his son, but was in pain because his son was lost. His son was in broken relationship with him. C.S. Lewis says this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. If we're going to love, it's going to hurt. This father loved his son passionately. But to let his son go and make his own choices hurt. And the amazing thing for me is about understanding God is that God loves me so much, that he loves me so much that he's prepared for me to say, leave me alone and he will leave me alone no matter how much it hurts him. Think about that for a moment. That's amazing. To love that much, to say, I will do the pain. Third point is 1 Corinthians 13 is the love passage. And it talks about faith, 
hope and love. But the greatest is love. And the father in the parable had all of those. He had faith. He had hope. He had love. And irrespective of whether it was reciprocated, he actually held on to that. The father actually lived out those three things daily in the midst of his pain. Faith, love, hope combined with grace enables us to sit with the pain and loss. I want to say this again. Faith, love and hope combined with grace enables me to sit with pain and loss, not becoming bitter, not becoming bent out of shape, but to live one day at a time with love and pain. The father was an example of that. Earlier this year, Jason Ellsmore said a line, and, and often at the beginning of the year I listen in a message and I'll take a phrase and go, I'm going to put that on the chalkboard because that's a phrase that I'll carry. And Jason said this. He said, all the promises of God are true in relationship with God. That's profound. God's promises are not true outside of relationship. God's promises are true in relationship. My last point from the parable is that the father didn't shame his son. In fact, it was way the opposite. I have a Jewish friend and he's very difficult to be around because their life is round by laws. So... Fraser Island fishing trip. So I've been going to Fraser Island with a group of guys for about 30 years. And so one of the guys, um, not the Muslim guy, uh, not the Jewish guy, sorry. Um, I said Muslim because when I drove past the, the butchers here that had halal meat, you know, the same thing. Um, at Fraser Island, we have a halal and uh, kosher non-friendly day. All right? Um, I'll tell you about that in a minute. But my mate Ching Ming, who's my Aussie fishing mate, okay? Um, Ching Ming uh, came from Malaysia. And uh, he's a mad keen Aussie fisherman and he says to all the migrants, you're not a real fisherman or a real Aussie until you've been fishing at Fraser Island. Okay? Um, and Ching Ming came down and he said, I've got cheese and I've got ham that's vacuum sealed but I can't put it in the fridge because Mao says it can't go in the fridge because it breaks religious law. So he came down to put it in my fridge. I've got friends who are missionaries to Muslims and when they're on home leave is that they have to stop eating pig products six months before they return. Why? Because in those communities, they can smell it. They can smell it in your skin, in your sweat. Now, think about this parable for a moment. Here is a Jewish boy. He's feeding pigs, living with pigs, wanting to eat pig slop because he's so hungry. He would have been dishevelled, but he would have stunk of pig. And he arrives at the village. And what do you think his father smelt when he ran up to him and kissed him? Pig. So what does he do? He says, son, I'm going to take off my jacket. I'm going to put my jacket on you. You're my son. I don't care if you stink of pig. And I don't care if the whole village thinks 
Oh, he stinks a pig. And not only that, son, let me take off my best ring. A mark of that you're mine. And let me put sandals on your feet. And let's kill a fatted calf. That son had every right to be shamed. He broke every religious law. And yet the father's relationship was far more important than religious law. And he walked through that village with his head held high, with his pig-stinking son, that my boy that was lost is now back home. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. Here's a couple of key points that I want to take out of this. Being relational is costly. If we're going to be relational, it's going to cost. Think about this. God, the creator of everything, the universe, he creates a perfect world with perfect kids, himself as a perfect parent, and his kids still stuffed up. Now, for every one of us who's a parent, we should be encouraged by that, shouldn't we? Doesn't matter how good we are, kids are going to stuff up. I say to parents all the time, it's their job to stuff up. It's their job to be challenging and naughty. Kids are crazy in some ways because every kid wants mum and dad to be happily married and stable family. But what do they do? They play mum and dad off against each other, don't they? The very thing they want, they work against. Why? Because they're kids. And God gets that. So God gets that it's costly. Being relational is really, really worthwhile. I love being a dad and I really love being a granddad. I had my 60th birthday recently and there's a family photo here. Um, if it comes up there. So there's Matt and Beck and little Zach and Nerily and I. And uh, there's another one from the day of Ner or Nerily's birthday. So we're actually taking him to the footy. So, uh, and, uh, you know, orchestrated that the Lions won that day for Nerily's birthday. <laughs> so I really, really love being a dad. And when I said that's a family photo, the question is, where's Katie? This is the pain bit. Katie's married to a very difficult man. And over five years ago, there was a fallout, which we don't understand. And we've had no contact, basically, in five years. People ask us if Zach is our, our first grandchild. We answer yes, because it's too complicated. But in fact, Zach's our third grandchild. Katie has a little girl, Ava, who will turn four in October, and a little boy um, who's already two. And we've never seen them. I can't show you a photograph of them because I don't have one. What I do have is return cards, abusive emails and letters. It doesn't change my love, but it hurts like hell. And what I know is that on this Father's Day is that we're not alone. 
at Mackenzie a couple of years ago, there was a, a, a series done on prayer, and there's a big prayer wall. If you're ever at Mackenzie, there's a big prayer wall. Check it out. And, and there's prayer requests and answered requests. And the Sunday that that was up, I walked into church, and as I walked in, I was just overcome. I, I was in tears before the service started. And um, I filled out a prayer card, and Nerilyn and I went forward for prayer and shed many tears in that service. And our prayer card is still in the prayers being prayed. But I've read, I've read other parents' heartache, grandparents' heartache that's still on that wall. And in a strange way, I take encouragement that I'm not alone. That part of the human condition is that to love means that I'm going to have pain. And the alternative is to shut down and somehow become numb in that coffin that C.S. Lewis talked about. And I refuse that. So being relational costs. A really important question, a question that the father in the parable had to answer is, how do I be relational at distance? How do I be relational when there's a broken relationship? And there are ways to do that. And like the loving father, Nerilyn and I have learned to wait, to pray, and to wait. And I hate waiting. I really do. I'm someone who does stuff. I fix things. But waiting? And there's been so many times that, you know, my anger's got the better of me where I'd like to knock on their door and rip a few heads off. And God says, wait. And in fact, we have a couple of passages up on our chalkboard. And Exodus 14, 14 spoke to Nerily and it's been up on our board for a number of years now. And it says, the Lord will fight for you. All you need to do is be still and wait. I'm growing to like that verse. I look at it sometimes and I still don't like it. Sideline issue, we were at Fraser Island and one of my mates who's involved in God Squad said to me one day, he said, he knows some criminal bikies. And I said, Dave, don't go there. Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. Because there are times when it, the pain is overwhelming that you want to do anything to fix it, to stop it. But I've learned to actually wait. Some of the keys for us, these are practical things that we do, is that we celebrate what God has given us. In spite of the pain with Katie, is that we celebrate what we do have. We love celebrating life with Beck and Matt and Zach. We celebrate the good things in life. That doesn't mean we don't acknowledge the hard things. We do. We talk. We cry. We pray. We hold on to Jesus. And one of the words of a song that I love, it says this, the place where love and sorrow flowed mingled down. That picture on the cross, it is a place of love and sorrow. Love meets pain on the cross. I hold on to that. I hold on to the Exodus 14.40 passage. We also plan for the future. Like the father in the parable who had hope and faith is that we have hope 
and faith, and we're planning for the future. So we have a box, and return cards have gone into that box. Christmas cards that we're not allowed to send go into that box. Because a day will come when those grandkids will want to seek out some truth, and I'm believing in God that they'll knock on our door, and I'm going to say, I've loved you. I loved you from the moment I heard about you. This is for you. Here's the evidence of our love that we've been waiting all this time. And we'll kill the fatted calf and have a party too. One of the traditions that we keep is our Christmas tradition. Narrowly started when the girls were very, very little is that every Christmas she would buy a decoration for the kids. And the kids can tell you which is their decorations. And she's done that for our grandkids. And every year there's a new decoration for Ava and Malachi on the tree. Dated which Christmas it is. So that they know that at one of our key celebrations, they were on our mind. Is it easy? No way. No way. Loving and having pain is never easy. In a message last year, I heard the words, grace brings inner peace because you know God has got it. Grace brings inner peace because I know God's got it. God's not walking around the halls of heaven going, oh, what can I do with Peter and Neroli? Look at this mess they're in. He's not caught by surprise. He's got it. He knows exactly what's going on. So here's the challenge for us, and the music team's going to come on up. The first challenge is this. Maybe you don't know God as a relational God. Maybe your picture of a father has been impaired by your experience of your own father. But I want to tell you that God is such a relational God that he is the father sitting on his veranda waiting for you to go, hey, Dad, I messed up. How do I put things right with you? And maybe you're sitting here today and that's the challenge for you, that the God of the universe loves me so much that he's just waiting for me to come to my senses and go, I'm sorry. How do we get this right? How do we build relationship again? God's the God of do-overs. He's not the God of second chances. He's the God of third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chances. Because he's a patient God who loves and wants us to respond. The second challenge, if you're a hurting parent, or maybe you're a kid who's hurting because of broken relationship with your parents, if you're a hurting dad or you had a hurting dad, that God wants to actually bring healing into your life. That healing may not restore everything zap way back it should be, but it'll be a relational process of him coming and being close and teaching you like he's teaching me that to love means that there is hard times, but it can be good and it can be worthwhile. A passage that is one of Neroli's favorites is 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, 
love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. We're going to sing a song. And as we sing, if you want prayer, maybe you're one of those who's never put your hand up and said, Lord, how do I put this right? Or maybe you're one of those like me who's hurting. Come forward and the prayer team will pray with you. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Gateway Baptist Church. We're a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.